I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. John White was a slimy rat. He killed a little girl after he had his despicable way with her. This monster had evil all over his face. I listened to their madness. I smelt their madness. I knew that either I had to go or I'd end up completely mad myself. I decided to kill White. My plan was simple. If I murdered the monster, I'd go back to court and be sent back to a proper prison to serve out my life sentence. I thought I'd be doing society a big favour by topping him. For a couple of days, I plotted the monster's departure. Strangulation was the only way. It was difficult because I had two white coats with me. There was only one real chance to grab him in the day room. I sat behind him while we were watching TV and then whipped off my tie and wrapped it around a pervert's neck. Pulled as tight as I could. Strangely, there was no sound. Some of the other patients were watching, some were laughing, some staring, but none of them said a word. It was insanity at its best. Welcome to I Can Murder, a podcast, episode number 16 of series eight. And sitting across from me is the eagerly eccentric, the ego eclipsing, explosively eggy exaggerator, Ben Carter. Oh, I love the first two words. And then it sort of spiraled slightly. Eagerly eccentric is in you. It's really eager to be eccentric. That's fine. Ego eclipsing. Like, oh, he's here. Explosively eggy because you know sometimes you get a bit of gas and exaggerating. You know, but how are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thank you. Really good. Uh, F next week. Can't wait for that one. But no, <laughs> I've um, got a couple of words. Yeah, I can imagine you have you sod. Um, but no, doing really well. Uh, happy to be here. This week is a oof, an interesting one indeed. Um, how are you doing, producer Dan? I very good. Thanks. Just um, just touched down from my world tour <laughs> with mm. Oscar Corney. Travelled the globe. Uh, feeling really good about that. New single out now, Wonder. Listen to it now. Single out now, Wonder. Give it, give it a spin. Fucking hell, get Tom. Cheers, boy. So much. Yeah, I swear, you know. So a very, very uh, enjoyable gig in London the other night, and I was saying on the over on the um, Minnesotes, you know, met a couple of uh, the listeners who made their way to the gig as well. Shout out to Gray and Danny. I was so high over the next day, Dan. It's unreal, painful. You were you were having a what was it a whiskey on the rocks as we were leaving? An old fashioned, an old fashioned. That was what killed me. I was slurring all the way home. Then I was sick when I got home. Good effort, they kept it in. Yeah, you're very chatty on the way home. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I could tell you were a bit annoyed. And I was like, did I say something annoying? No, I was just snoozy and I had no patience. So if you get going, Dan's angry. I was like, yeah, I think he is. <laughs> I'll keep talking to him. <laughs> um, anyway, some exciting news I've been teasing for a long time. We have new merch. Oh. So go check it out on the site. You'll see it on our Instagram. We'll be posting about it. The Sunny Side Up new line out now out now and where is that where can i see this merch where's the website at it's uh www.icmap.co.uk so that's www.icmap.co.uk fabulous i heard you have some episodes over there as well uh we've got a few ben we've got about 132 ish of minisodes which you can get audio and visual and Mm -hmm. i mean people are going when you guys breaking up when you're coming back if you want to you know 
put us in your ears during that time, just head over there and there's plenty to choose from. Delightful. And you can also, now breaking news, boys, you can get ICMAP in app form, Ooh. which is uh, very smooth. It's buttery smooth. You don't have to log in every time. You don't have to deal with uh, a silly little browser. Yeah, it will just prompt you when you log into your members area. I can imagine Mario going... Silly little browser. No, we said browser. Uh, but anyway, oh, good. and we just had the audience vote, sorry. So um, uh, if you guys missed that, um, be sure to follow us on our socials because we do do votes and things like that on over on uh, there at Could Murder a Pod. Uh, we did the audience vote and that is coming up next week. It was very hotly contested. I think there was only about 50 odd votes either side on deciding the winner. Mm. But um, I'm not going to say, well, we say it is a winner, but I'm not going to say the name following winner because I don't think that is very... Uh, it doesn't sound doesn't sound good. No, but uh, but this week's case, whoa, what a whopper! The life and times of Charles Bronson, also known as the case of Charles Salvador, Britain's most dangerous prisoner, the case of Michael Gordon Peterson, Britain's most notorious prisoner. And I uh, was going to do a cryptic clue last week, but with it being the Boston Marathon bombing and uh, just quite a sensitive episode throughout, I just thought, no. And also, it was quite an obvious clue. I think that was the main reason was it was just very obvious. Very obvious, yes. And it didn't really make sense, but it still was obvious. <laughs> and it was the king meets a drunk James Bond. Uh, Charles the king and Bronson Brosnan. Uh, so... Uh, yeah. Bond. yeah 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 um but yeah this one we've uh it's been on the list for a long time um i think it's one that always gets requested quite a lot anyway people are eager to hear about him it's one where if you don't know too much about the case which i'm sure that people listening to this now don't know too much you might be slightly underwhelmed in terms of why he's in prison but you'd probably be overwhelmed by what he's done whilst he's been in prison like that yeah so it's an under and overwhelmer yeah yeah, I could kind of relate to that. Balanced. You're balanced, yeah. 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 Um, but yes, we will get into it. Uh, starting off with a lovely little quote from producer Dan. Fuck that. Do you want a riddle first? Ooh. Oh, yeah. A lot of people are saying, where's the riddles? Where's the riddles and where's the clues? I was inundated with complaints yeah. about not having a riddle in the last episode. Someone said there was a riddle, but there wasn't an answer. But I don't think that was true. I think they imagined the riddle. Yeah. I was worried about that. Ooh. Because remember when you, you kind of reminded me to do the riddle at the end, and I was like, nah, I haven't done it. But then I doubted myself. Maybe there is a riddle. I'll have to re-listen to it. Anyway. Well, you did a, you did a load of riddles on the live stream that night as well, um, oh, which we do every yeah. month over on icmap.co.uk. That'd be a good uh, Halloween costume for you, Dan, doing the Jim Carrey Riddler. Yeah. That'd be a good one. Okay. Consider it done. Thank you so much. <laughs> ben, you could be Penguin, Danny DeVito. It's offensive. Why is that offensive? <laughs> I'll be Dr. Freeze. I was, I was I'll give you the cold shoulder. Say that. Yeah. Oh, come on. I'll give you an ice pop. You can pick up a penguin. I'll give you an ice pop as well. Oh. <laughs> Double part. Um, let's, let's do this really quickly. Let's get out of the way, shall we? Dan's riddle, sly and mischievous grin. Twist and turn and mind game to win. Puzzles are plenty, a chuckle or two. A laugh and thought, we find our clue. Riddles! No, a fun one today. Um, a detective reported to a crime scene at the circus. A clown was found backstage in a pool of blood with his hands grasping his neck. How did he die? Really fun one. I'll leave it with you. Is that it? <laughs> There's not it's much. not a lot to go off, is there? No. I'm truly, I'm truly flummoxed. Tell you what, Ben, you're surprisingly being surprisingly good at uh, riddles. I know, but actually, to, to, can I just clarify, though? Oh. Um, I see this less uh, of a riddle, but more of a joke. Oh. Oh, oh I know what it is then. To hold it to the end. For everybody else. Yeah, okay, yeah, I've got that already straight away. That's annoyed me. 
<laughs> well, that he got it or that it's a joke? Oh, no. no. I'm, more of a, I'm more of a joker. You're more a fiddler. Okay, right. Let's jump into this episode. <laughs> sorry, I meant Riddler. Yeah. <clears throat> Kitty Riddler. Yeah. No, Riddler. Oh, sorry. Riddled. Whip. Yeah. Let's jump into the episode. Jump into it. Yeah, Stanley, uh, please do a quote. So set the scene. Yeah, boy. In 1974, at the age of 22, Michael Gordon Peterson, more notoriously known as Charles Bronson, experienced his first taste of life behind bars. Armed with a home-modified, sawn-off shotgun, Bronson held up a small post office in rural Cheshire, where he stole £26.18. The consequences of this particular action would echo for the next 50 years of Bronson's life, with the exception of 69 precious days of freedom. The widespread notoriety gained for his extreme behaviour behind bars, which often involved taking prison staff hostage, harming other inmates and causing significant disturbances, has since become global. His life story has inspired books, films and documentaries, making him one of the most infamous and enigmatic figures currently in the British criminal justice system. His life of violence, chaos and mayhem both inside and outside of the prison walls, as well as his unusually long prison sentence, has divided many, with the question of parole still very much prominent to date. His actions, for now, have resulted in Bronson becoming regarded as Britain's most notorious, as well as perhaps, at least for a time, Britain's most violent prisoner. So yeah, it's, it's, it, as Tom said, it's a, a case when you first look at it, you think, oh, it's a guy that's been locked up for being naughty behind bars uh, after a, a minor, not a minor offence, but a fairly uh, lower level offence. Well, it's still pretty bad, isn't it, holding up a post office? Um, uh, a mid-level offence. I'm going to settle at mid-level. But once you dig into his life and the, uh, the uh, other events that have occurred whilst uh, behind bars, it's a, certainly a very, very interesting case. So as always, we're going to start with a quote. And yeah, Bronson, a very, very quotable figure. Uh, so we will have a number of his quotes throughout the episode. And we want to do a big shout out to Tom Andrews, who has done the voiceover for Bronson throughout this episode. Uh, yeah, some really interesting words about to come out of his mouth. I'll put my hands up. Out of the 50 years I've been in prison, I've probably deserved about 35 years of it. I've been very naughty. Not naughty, naughty. Just naughty. So let's jump into the life and crimes of Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson was born Michael Gordon Peterson. Oh, wow. On the 6th of December, <laughs> 1950... Sorry, sorry, Michael Peterson, staircase. 1952 in the town of Luton, England. He was one of three boys born to Ira and John Peterson. Uh, John went by Joe to many of his friends and even people that didn't know him too well introduced to him and, and he said, my name's Joe. Um, having a younger brother called Mark and an older brother called John Jr., the Peterson family were considered very much a working to middle class family, living on a small estate on the outskirts of town. Though they were very politically active, well liked and respected in their local area. A note to make from this point onwards in the episode, we will refer to Michael Gordon Peterson, wow, as Bronson. Bronson's father John was a very dedicated follower of the Conservative Party, and this is something that he looked to instill in his young sons. Britain during the 50s, 60s and 70s was predominantly under Conservative leadership, however some portions of the 60s and 70s started to see Labour leadership emerge. Uh, and yeah, this was something that John absolutely could not stand, and would regularly go on rants about and verbal tirades about in front of the rest of the family. He would regularly drag his young boys to Conservative Party gatherings and conferences, 
which quickly became something that his sons resented. Bronson's father, John, uh, would actually later go on to run the Conservative Club in Aberystwyth, Wales, a position that would come under some scrutiny based on his son's later crimes. John was said to have had a very short fuse, often getting in fights down the local pub when other men uh, tried to speak to his partner, Ira. Uh, So he'd obviously introduce himself as Joe and then smack uh, very, very short fuse Joe, John Peterson. Uh, He would also regularly give orders... (laughs) He would also regularly give orders and speak aggressively to his children as if they were members of his own regiment, according to Ira. The Peterson family were very close-knit, with the family regularly holding get-togethers at one another's houses. Bronson was said to have been quite a quiet young boy in comparison to his siblings and cousins, but one that was very much doted on, particularly by his mother and his aunt. Bronson's aunt Eileen Parry, who, together with her husband, were once mayor and mayoness of Luton. Mayoress? Mayoress? Mayonnaise. Mayonnaise. Mayor Quimby, were once mayor and mayoress of Luton, said the following of a young Bronson. As a boy, he was a lovely lad. He was obviously bright and always good with children. He was gentle and mild-mannered, never a bully. He would defend the weak. There are many different rumours circulating online and in different documentaries, books and podcasts with regards to Bronson's first introduction to violence. Some have speculated that it was local gangs. I mean, Luton as an area, uh, always on 24 hours in police custody makes me think that might uh might have always been a place where uh crime has happened i only really know it for the airport yeah yeah the footy team and the footy team now actually yeah you're right yeah the hatters the hatters yes others have speculated that it was school bullies and some have also speculated that it was from his brothers and others seem to lean towards the idea of it being his father which does hold some weight as well as his political aspirations bronson's father john was a highly acclaimed boxer in the local area Bronson himself even claiming that his father was a regional heavyweight champion. Some note that John often physically reprimanded his boys, with both Bronson and his younger brother Mark seeming to take the brunt of his beatings. The boys were also made to box from the moment they could walk. Ooh, I mean, that's a young age learned to box, isn't it? Yeah. So who was the, the shark puncher? Building blocks, but not building box. Beatbox. Pardon? Paul something. Paul Sykes. Yeah, he was another one that was sort of, he's the one that had photos of him as a baby in boxing gloves which uh, divided some divided some didn't it i love my boxing my father was a great champion boxer it's a fraternity it's a family we used to box in prison but they're run by namby pamby people now fairies they don't want to risk nothing when he turned four years old bronson and his siblings moved from the outskirts of luton into the town center and as a result their accommodation became smaller and the children would be introduced to the hustle and bustle of the town center do you think the outskirts is called the outskirts the center of town should what was it right in the middle of the skirt yeah center skirt center center skirt. center skirt yes okay interesting central skirt So in the centre of the town, crime rates were on a sharp rise in the Luton area at the time, and as such, the family became no strangers to violence, robberies and other criminal behaviours, which no doubt rubbed off on a young Bronson. Though, despite this, much like how his aunt had described him, he was a very well-behaved, popular young boy who seemed to have no trouble at school or socially. The next nine years of Bronson's life, all of which are crucial formative years and ones that in every, almost every other episode of the podcast we've ever done, we often see a whole host of red flags. Uh, they, they seem to go by for Bronson without issue. Um, so yeah, sort of from the age of four to 13, um, I'm going to put a green flag up. There was nothing wonky about my upbringing. My parents were decent, respectable and upstanding members of society. 
I went to school. I kept my head down. Sure, like most kids, I got in trouble. I liked it. But I wasn't bad. I wasn't bad, bad. And I still had my principles. Do you boys want a cheeky little stat about Luton in terms of its crime rates? Uh, I'd love a stat, actually. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to offend anybody who lives in Luton, obviously. But, um, I don't think it's going to be good. Stat man, Dan. Um, so in Luton, uh, the crime rate is 20% higher than uh, the east of England. It's 7% higher than the rest of the uh, England, Wales and Northern Ireland overall figure. And Luton is the most dangerous town to live in in Bedfordshire. Ooh. Yeah. It, it makes, as I said, I'm basing everything on police, 24 hours in police custody, but heavily paced around Luton. Mm. Should we say something nice about Luton quickly? Uh, I went to the football stadium once and I really liked the fact that you go through some houses to get in and I like the wooden seats. Perfect. So when Bronson turned 13 years old, the family moved out of Luton Town Centre and relocated up north to Ellesmere Port, Cheshire. And this is where everything seemed to change drastically for Bronson. Uh, And I did, as Dan's just did a little look up on Luton, I did do a quick look into Ellesmere Port to see exactly what could have been, you know, what's the cause? What flicked the switch for Bronson? And I didn't really find too many exciting or dangerous things up in... I've got a fact about it. Have you really? Yeah. Sure. Um, I believe, don't quote me if I'm wrong, it has the second largest marks of Spencer's Fucking in the UK. But I'm interested to see what you're going to say. Uh, they make a lot of Vauxhall cars um, mm. and uh, also once was home to the largest aquarium in the what? UK. Um, <laughs> Not anymore. A bigger one got built. Oh, no. uh, but that was about it. Yeah, Tom beat me to the second largest Marks and Sparks. Uh, annoyingly, that's going to uh, rattle me for the Where's rest the of the Where's the largest episode. Marks and Sparks? You should know that. Great question, Dan. He's Googling it. I'm not near me. I went in the country. Okay, Google. Where's the largest Marks and Spencers in the UK? Flagship megastore. According to Wikipedia, the largest shop is near Marble Arch on Oxford Street in London, which has around 16,000 square metres of shop floor. Yeah, so the first one I think is Marble Arch London. Um, Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Probably. So yeah, not really a lot going on. And although Ellesmere Port is still a fairly busy town, it would have been vastly different to the life that Bronson and his brothers were used to in Luton. By the sea, the port town of Ellesmere had a much smaller population than Luton, but seemingly still had all the ingredients available for him to turn to a life of crime, particularly his new social circle. I had a beautiful childhood, but I was born to have a rumble. I just went wrong. I don't know how, I don't know why. I just enjoyed the excitement of it all. Almost immediately upon arrival in Ellesmere, Bronson's attitude, behaviours and personality significantly shifted. And whilst it could be argued that it was merely a boy entering his teenage years, others point to the fact that he had immediately surrounded himself with a negative friendship group and therefore immediately and knowingly entered a life of crime. Yeah, I mean, there's always the wrong crowd, isn't there? Still at the age of 13, Bronson and three of his new friends formed a gang and they decided that they were going to go on the rob. The group would regularly shoplift as well as burgle homes and would even bully other children into giving up their money and their food. Bronson, who was once described as gentle and mild-mannered by his aunt, who also stated that he was never a bully, he would defend the weak, had gone full circle, earning him a fearsome reputation as someone to avoid and regularly getting into fights both inside and outside of school. His behaviours, as well as his new group of friends, would lead Bronson to frequently skip school and regularly engage in criminal behaviour. This resulted in him being reprimanded in juvenile court on at least two separate occasions for stealing before he turned 15. These early experiences seemed to light a spark within Bronson, who, despite being badly beaten in a number of these different uh, physical encounters, seemed to absolutely love getting into fights. The violence, the pain, the blood, the broken bones, none of it seemed to bother him, and he seemed to bask in the spotlight of the attention that these fights would give him. He would draw crowds when he got into fights at school, and he would draw crowds when he got into fights in the streets. He loved the frill, and he loved the audience that it gave him. For reasons not entirely clear, it is speculated and very vividly presented in the movie Bronson that he struck and subsequently threw a chair at one of his school teachers. Others suggest that there were problems within the family, and it is clear that attendance at school was also a problem for him. Uh, But for whatever reason, Bronson dropped out of education entirely, returning to his hometown of Luton a completely changed person, and going directly into employment. He then took up a series of odd jobs, many of which he either quit or was terminated from. Bronson claims that he took the first job he could get his hands on, working in a warehouse of a local Tesco. However, he would only hold this role for two weeks, as he was later dismissed for attacking and physically assaulting his line manager. He then worked at a number of different factories as a general labourer, as well as working as a hod carrier on a number of different building sites, uh, before also allegedly working in a fish and chip shop. So yeah, just for full disclosure, I know a lot of people ask him, what what on earth is a hod carrier? Uh, A hod carrier is someone who carries bricks in a three-sided box to other skilled labourers. So So he went from hod carrier to cod carrier? You you could say that in a way, yeah. Um, From rags to riches, yeah. That's Um, not the same thing. From bricks to chipses. No. No. 
Uh Uh, But yeah, these are typically found on bigger scale projects such as property construction sites. And again, with all of these jobs that he held, attendance and attitude would both come into question. And Bronson was regularly removed from these roles. So it's probably worth noting, um, not to be patronising to any listener who isn't from the UK, but Bronson's father being part of the the Tory party, um, which is very much usually linked with the affluent and, you know, people who are part of higher society and in, especially in their own eyes um i think you'd very much be looking down on the roles his son's doing here working in a fish and chip shop working in a warehouse um especially with the way he was beha- he was behaving when he when he was younger so in, in america the the tories would be the republicans um and the labor would be the democrats um just yeah, just just to highlight that just in case it wasn't clear and although, yeah, this case does get bloody, um, he, he strikes me as someone that would have had a very red background rather than blue. Political. I wouldn't have thought he was that political, but uh, it's just weird. That if it had to be a colour. No? No. Political. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, oh, it's fun to see you join in. Thank you. In 1969, when Bronson was 17, he met Irene Kelsey, who he seemed to take a fairly immediate liking to. The pair quickly began seeing one another, but the relationship was said to have been as volatile as it was passionate, with the pair regularly getting into heated arguments, both in public and behind closed doors. Irene described Bronson, who she knew as Mick, as follows. Mick was so different from any other boys I knew. He always wore tailored suits had perfectly groomed sideburns and a lovely Cockney accent. Mick had always liked to drink, but as the years went by, it became a problem. He would disappear for days and come back drunk and covered in bruises. He'd wreck the house. Then a few hours later, he'd be back to his charming old self. It was like living with Jekyll and Hyde. In one such heated argument, this time with Irene's father, Bronson got so enraged that he went outside the Kelsey family home and began to punch and kick several parked cars on the street, smashing the windows of four separate vehicles. As a result of this, the police were called and Bronson was in prison for the first time in his life. He was ordered to serve time on remand for criminal damage at HM Prison Risley in Warrington, Cheshire. Following his trial, he was fined and released on probation just two months later. He had beaten up cars when you're angry. Mm. Never a good one. After his release, Bronson spent more and more time away from Luton, this time returning to the Cheshire area to be closer to his family in Irene. He took up work as a furniture remover, which he seemed to enjoy, to the point that he managed to hold the role for the next two years. Sounds like a a very um, clingy baker. Um, But old habits would follow, and he would continue to get into fights as well as engage in petty crimes. Again, his behaviour would continue to escalate. The following year, Bronson was once again involved with the police, but this time for a far more concerning charge. A group of friends and acquaintances had brought Bronson in on a vehicle theft racket, and they, yeah, essentially they felt that a man of his confidence and demeanour would excel in this. The group would then steal large vans and lorries before driving them to a secluded location and emptying their contents and abandoning the vehicles. On one such occasion in 1970, Bronson was driving a stolen lorry at high speed. The lorry then veered into oncoming traffic and struck a car. Thankfully for Bronson, the driver managed to survive the crash with minor injuries, but he was later identified and arrested at his parents' house, which was 90 miles away from the scene of the crime. Due to the other driver surviving, Bronson faced only a fine before being released on probation. So yeah, that could have gone, uh, especially with the fact that he was driving a large lorry at quite high speed, Mm. that could have gone uh, very, very wrong for him. Uh, But yeah, small fine and released on probation. 
1971, having returned to working as a general labourer and attempting to live a life free of crime, Bronson once again struggled with the normality of everyday life. It is alleged, uh, to quell this, uh, this resentment of normality, that he took up work with a circus as a strongman, uh, and this is apparently where his now infamous handlebar moustache was born. However, it's not completely clear if this was the case. Either way, while struggling to cope with what he viewed as a mundane life, age 19, Bronson engaged in an attempted smash-and-grab raid on a jeweller's with a small group of his associates. The raid itself was unsuccessful and nobody was harmed, with Bronson once again being tracked down for his part in the crime. So yeah, he had a very sort of uh, distinct appearance, which is maybe why he's so easy to locate at this point. I mean, he's being located very, very quickly for these crimes, or he's just got friends that are ratting him out. Either way, he was given a suspended sentence and once again ordered to pay a small fine. Um, during this period of time, and much to the dismay of her family, Bronson's girlfriend Irene had fallen pregnant, and in early 1972, when Irene was four months pregnant, the couple got married at a local registry office in Chester. Irene gave birth to the couple's son, Michael Jonathan Peterson. Wow, five months later. Taking Bronson's first and last name, with his father's name as a middle name, Michael Jr. would sadly only get to spend the next two years with his father. Bronson was said to have been a brilliant father to baby Michael, but also one who was regularly absent for much of the two years they spent together, often leaving the family home at a moment's notice and not returning for several days. Irene recalled the following. I thought about leaving him when I was young and naive. Then, in February 1974, Mick had gone missing. He went out one morning and never came back. After he'd been gone for a week, I was frantic. Then, police raided the house looking for him. Ten police officers stormed in, while a terrified baby Mike clung to me, crying. A week later, police told me Mick had been arrested for armed robbery. He'd robbed a tobacconist shop in Little Sutton, Merseyside, with a sawn-off shotgun. The next day, I'd gone to Ellesmere Port Police Station to see him. Why? I cried. Mick had just shaken his head and looked down. So why did 10 police officers storm the home of Charles Bronson? Where was Bronson when all of this happened? And why had he attempted an armed robbery once again? We're going to explore this and exactly how he became regarded as Britain's most violent prisoner. And it is here that we move to the timeline of the life and crimes of Charles Bronson. February 26th, 1974, midday. Armed with a homemade sawn-off shotgun, 22-year-old Charles Bronson, then still known as Michael Gordon Peterson, approaches a small post office and tobacconists in the village of Little Sutton, Cheshire. Wow. Which was <coughs> so delayed. <laughs> which was a suburb of Ellesmere Port, where his parents lived. To this point, Bronson had struggled to hold down any traditional means of employment and now felt even more financial pressure as a result of becoming a father, as he later recalled. 1974. A tough time to be young in England, not a lot of opportunity around. Still, life moves on. Bronson pulls a hat over part of his face and enters the shop, dressed head to toe in black. He holds the shop clerk up and aggressively demands the contents of the... Did I say that weird? Holds the shop clerk up. You sound like you had a bit of cum in the back of your throat. <laughs> he holds... Girl cum. Sorry? To girl cum. Girl cum. Oh, thank you. Cum that was in the girl when you went it's a staying in. Yeah, yeah. it's staying in his throat. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. 
He holds the shop clerk up and aggressively demands the contents of the cash register to be emptied into his bag. Well, put me down and I'll do it. <laughs> he then flees the post office highly frustrated with a grand total of £26.18 pence in his possession. So yeah, I did do a little look on this because it's always referred to as this is all I got away with, this is what they've done me for. Um, but for some clarity here, um, although it's not a good taking for Bronson, who would assume that there would have been a far higher amount of money on the premises, um, given that it was very popular and frequently used post office but a large amount of money had recently been removed from the site and according to four that's right four different inflation calculators 26 pounds 18 pence in 1974 is the equivalent to the spending power of between 270 and 350 pounds which i don't think was that bad uh, i guess i mean if it was just recently been removed and he probably expected a whole lot more but yeah, um, yeah i mean i wouldn't hold a post office up for that much money no Give me all your Twixes as well. Here's <laughs> our fucking div dab, you prick. Instead of returning home, Bronson goes into hiding and lives rough for the following seven days, living between wooded areas of Merseyside, and he also lives in friends' garages. Um, so some friends look after him there. Uh, the police, who are going off of witness descriptions, whilst also trying to locate Bronson at his parents' and wife's house, are becoming more and more certain that he is the man responsible. And again, I thought if he'd pulled a black hat over his face, but you can still see the curly moustache. That's a giveaway, isn't it? Mm. Uh, however, he is eventually tracked down and arrested, and then taken to Ellesmere Port Police Station for questioning. Eyewitness testimony, as well as the discovery of a modified sawn-off shotgun, links Bronson to the crime, and he is charged with armed robbery. His wife Irene visits him whilst at the station, but Bronson shows little remorse or reasoning for his crimes. June 1974, the trial of Charles Bronson concludes at Chester Crown Court, with Bronson being sentenced to serve seven years for armed robbery. His attendant family are in absolute shock by the verdict, and offer their reassurances to Bronson that he'll be out in half that time if he behaves himself but we all know where this story goes. The judge sentences Bronson to a harsher sentence due to his previous record of criminal activity as well as his lack of reform and wishes to make an example of the young man. Bronson is ordered to start his sentence immediately at nearby Walton Jail, now known as HM Prison Liverpool, and he is transferred from the court to the prison. Yeah, that's uh, seven years. I mean, armed robbery. It feels like that's fairly typical you know a fair sentence yeah, rather than yeah. thinking it's like a especially with his history definitely yeah i don't think it's a, a harsh sentence uh, autumn of 1974 shortly after his arrival at walton bronson is directly involved in an unprovoked physical confrontation with two other inmates both men are seriously injured with rumors quickly circulating that the men were either sexual offenders or had made sexual advances towards bronson either way bronson is reprimanded and placed in solitary confinement on the punishment block of the prison so a note on Walton Prison, it did and still does receive heavy criticism for its conditions as well as its understaffing and overpopulation, with a former inmate of the time saying the following. The punishment at Walton is not being in jail. It's surviving there, hour by hour. It's drastically understaffed and therefore prisoners are able to take more control and be more violent with one another. If anything, Walton just makes inmates more aggressive and there does not seem to be a solution to the problems. Violence is the fluent language of the prison. You have to learn to speak it quickly at Walton, or you'll get eaten alive. Can you speak violence, Ben? <sighs> oh. Bronson adjusted extremely quickly to his new way of life, and despite only being 22 at the time, he was keen to make other inmates aware that they should not and would not cross him. 
he would look for ways to assert his dominance over other prisoners and choose wisely in terms of friendships that he formed. The prison environment of Walton was highly chaotic, which likely made any kind of recognition of good behaviour on Bronson's part unlikely. As a result, his behaviours and those around him became increasingly more violent. Take something simple, complicate it by 10 times, then fuck it up, and that's Walton for you. Everything is solved with violence. And if you're not of that attitude, then you're soft. The showers are normally the place where disputes and debts are sorted out. I've seen inmates leave with busted lips, shredded ears, blood pouring from their nose, blackened eyes, and with broken bones. The staff can see it happening, but it is not worth it for them to get involved. Around the wings of the prison are posters trying to reduce bullying and violence, but in prison, a snitch is a lowlife, and many inmates would rather suffer. Many inmates walk the landings with obvious injuries. There's an average of five fights every day. That's five times the alarm is activated by an officer, and all inmates are returned to their cells. I have seen three inmates enter a cell, leave a few minutes later, and watch as a prisoner comes out with cuts, gashes, and stab wounds. The officers watch everything and are fully aware of what's happening, but do not get involved, either because it makes their shift easier, or they fear attacks on them. Bronson, to the surprise of loved ones and family members that remained in touch and continued to visit him, absolutely thrived in this environment, and perhaps for the first time in his life, truly felt at home. Any signs of him being released early on good behaviour now had vanished, and he had truly immersed himself into life behind bars, the majority of which was spent in isolation. Early 1975. Not even a year into his sentence, after continued acts of violence and attacks on other inmates, the opportunity came for Bronson to be transferred from Walton to HM Prison Hull. And this transfer was made in the hopes that Bronson would be better adjusted to that prison based on it having safer staffing to inmate ratios. Sadly, a pattern of violence and rebellion would continue to form. Just two months after arriving at Hull, Bronson was assigned a work duty in one of the prison workshops. However, he heavily disliked the idea of working on behalf or within a prison. When a prison officer confronted Bronson for not carrying out his work duty, Bronson responded by physically assaulting the officer before trashing the workshop and injuring another inmate in the process. In an effort to restrain Bronson, several other guards rushed the workshop, where one of them injected him with a sedative known as chlorpromazine which very suddenly rendered him immobile. After that, Bronson was placed in solitary confinement on the punishment wing of the prison, where he experienced several days of severe illness as a result of the injection. He began to fear a repeat experience and also felt as though his own health and well-being was no longer a priority of the guards. And yeah, this is something that you'll hear throughout Bronson's time behind bars. He would argue that due to his poor reputation and that reputation getting poorer over time, uh, guards would be aware of who he was, what his attitude and behaviours were like, and therefore they would not prioritise, uh, you know, keeping him clean, providing care to him. Um, and yeah, he would claim that this would get in a worse condition as the years went on. Six months were also added to Bronson's sentence for his actions. Bronson's then wife, Irene, recalls the following. In the summer of 1974, I ran out of Chester Crown Court in tears when he was sentenced to seven years. I was 22 with a three-year-old son. How was I going to cope? He was supposed to get out after three years, but his sentence was extended after he got into a fight with another prisoner. Then he moved and got into more trouble in 1975. Every time it looked like he'd get out, he got into more trouble. I was really struggling with it all. Summer of 1975. After he had fully recovered and was released back into general population, Bronson appeared to be behaving like the model inmate, but only for a brief period. 
Four weeks after rejoining the general population, he began to challenge the guards and the other inmates once again. And over the next few months, he would frequently be returned to solitary confinement after getting into physical confrontations with the prison guards and other inmates. He would spend seven of the next eight months in solitary as a result. Early 1976, a year and a half into his now seven and a half year sentence, Bronson attacks fellow inmate and alleged sex offender John Henry Gallagher with a large glass jug. Bronson approached Gallagher from the side, where he then struck him several times with the jug, smashing it into pieces in the process. Bronson was once again apprehended and taken forcefully to solitary. He was initially charged with grievous bodily harm, but the charges were later reduced to unlawful wounding, which he was convicted for and, as a result, had nine months added to his sentence. So yeah, at this point he's now had 15 months added to his seven-year sentence. He was then transferred to HM Prison Leeds, his third different prison in as many years. Late 1976 and 1977. For the majority of this time period, Bronson continued to harness a reputation as one of Britain's most difficult, volatile, violent and unpredictable prisoners. Over the following 18 months, the majority of which was also spent in solitary confinement, Bronson was transferred an additional four times to HM Prison Wakefield, HM Prison Parkhurst, HM Prison Wandsworth, as well as returning to HM Prison Walton. These were due to offences against other inmates and prison guards as well as the destruction of prison property, as had become the trend with Bronson. Two other specific offences caused Bronson to be transferred, as well as isolated in solitary confinement for an extended period of time. In early 1977, he spent four months in isolation after he was caught trying to dig his way out of his prison cell. Which is a... I mean, we covered recently, The Escape of Alcatraz. Um, Obviously, uh, you've got that film that everyone says is their favourite film. Um, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, but yes, uh, digging you, I can't imagine you having much implements other than a spoon, but, um, yeah, he doesn't strike me as much of a digger either. I didn't know this about him until we, uh, we looked at this episode, but yeah, caught trying to dig his way out. Mm. When he was returned to the prison's general population, he caught up with the prisoner who had informed the guards of his escape plan and attacked him. Don't rat out in prison, let alone on Charles Bronson, beating him with a cutlery and scarring him for life. Following on from this, Bronson threatened to murder a prison officer to intervene in the attack, causing him to be transferred once again. At this point, the only prisons that would take him were prisons with secure psychiatric wings, which limited prison officials' options at the time. His next stay in Wandsworth, which is located in southwest London, meant that Bronson had to be transported by a prison van from Yorkshire to London, and due to his fearsome reputation, he was transported on his four-and-a-half-hour journey chained to the floor of the van. He had now been transferred eight times in four years. Chained to the floor of a van, the very Bane vibes, which is for Tom Hardy, which Tom Hardy played him in the film, and then it yeah. all links together. It does, yeah. Not good if you have um, motion sickness. Oh, once worth reckoning. I haven't come here to dig. Um, and also Bane was in that film, uh, the fancy dress film. He was also in that film. Uh, fancy dress film? You know, the Batman Forever. Oh, yes. But not as a compelling version of painting that one. So, yeah. Uh, chained to the floor of a van. Yeah. Yeah. That couldn't have been comfortable. No. No. God, no. No. Um, heaven forbid. Uh, during his time at Wandsworth, Bronson attempted to poison a prisoner in the cell next to his, um, like Poison Ivy, uh, again from that Batman film. And it is not known exactly why or how this happened, but the common rumours are that the prisoner had made a sexual advance towards Bronson and or was in prison for sexual offences. 
The pair were kept separate from one another due to previous conflicts, and it's unclear how Bronson attempted to poison him. Either way, as a result, this meant that Bronson was briefly transferred to Parkhurst Prison C Unit, um, the secure psychiatric wing. Very different to the G Unit wing. Um, yeah. Located on the Isle of Wight, where he claims to have met the Cray twins, Ronnie and Reggie Cray. Again, yeah, Tom, Tom Hardy played those two. Played Bane, played Bronson. Um, the Cray twins had recently been jailed for life for the murders of Jack the Hat and McVitty. Uh, obviously, the guy that owned the, uh, the Biscuit Fortune and George Cornell. He, he didn't actually own that. I, I don't want to just, um, yeah, I don't want to just lie and pretend that that's true. Both of whom were from supposed rival gangs. Bronson claims to have formed a unique bond with the infamous pair, who he claims were terrified when they came face to face with him. It was a pleasure and a privilege to spend time in prison with both. They were the best two guys I've ever met. Ron and me had a lot in common, and obviously we were both certified insane and sent to Broadmoor. But because of that, we could relate to each other better than most. Madness is a delicate subject and can cause all sorts of insecurities, but Ron and me, we had a unique friendship. I loved him, and I felt his pain. He was a sick man, and without his medication, he could become erratic and prone to psychotic episodes. Reg, on the other hand, was more in control, more self-confident and chilled about life. He was also super alert. I used to spar with Reg, and he was fast. When he boxed, he was a body punisher. He hurt you with combinations and rib crushes. Like all of his other prison stays, his time at Parkhurst was highly eventful and came to a quick end. He attacked and beat another prisoner with a glass jam jar and was once again charged with grievous bodily harm, before later going on to attempt to end his own life and attack a prison officer with the same piece of broken glass. As a result, he was transferred under the Mental Health Act to the High Security Psychiatric Hospital, Broadmoor. Yeah, so his stay in Broadmoor would become very infamous and, um, uh, yeah, a very key part of this case indeed. So 1978, Bronson arrived at Broadmoor Hospital but was quickly transferred to Rampton Secure Hospital and Rampton is basically referred to as uh, the Broadmoor of the North uh, and this was due to overcrowding. Now, his time at Rampton would be incredibly short-lived due to a quick flurry of disturbing events. Bronson found himself very much unable to adapt to forced medication and would frequently fight off any attempt from the guards trying to administer this. He also struggled to adjust to being in the company of highly volatile, highly unstable and highly dangerous patients. I witnessed them rushing into walls, using their heads as rams. I've seen them fall unconscious doing this. They stabbed themselves with pens, needles and scissors. One even blinded himself in one eye and another tore out his own testicle. There was one who just kept trying to eat himself, biting his arms, legs and feet. Within a month of his arrival at Rampton, Bronson attempted to strangle child rapist and murderer John White. However, he was restrained by the guards just as the sounds of White's death rattle began to fill the room. Bronson himself recalled, I had to sit in a day room at Rampton Hospital surrounded by sex killers, rapists and child slayers. One in particular, John White, was a slimy rat. He killed a little girl after he had his despicable way with her. This monster had evil all over his face. I listened to their madness. I smelt their madness. I knew that either I had to go or I'd end up completely mad myself. I decided to kill White. My plan was simple. If I murdered the monster, I'd go back to court and be sent back to a proper prison to serve out my life sentence. I thought I'd be doing society a big favour by topping him. For a couple of days, I plotted the monster's departure. Strangulation was the only way. It was difficult because I had two white coats with me. 
There was only one real chance to grab him in the day room. I sat behind him while we were watching TV, then whipped off my tie and wrapped it round a pervert's neck. I pulled as tight as I could. Strangely, there was no sound. Some of the other patients were watching, some were laughing, some staring, but none of them said a word. It was insanity at its best. I was killing a man before their very eyes and getting away with it. His whole body was shaking like he was having a fit. I heard the death rattle. His face had turned blue, his eyes were bulging and his tongue hung down on his chin. The monster was on his way out and I felt so happy. He was getting off lightly for what he'd done to that little girl. Then the white coats were on my back, punching and trying to prise my hands free of the tie. I was winding around his neck. I was shouting, screaming and laughing. I was now completely mad. I heard shouts for oxygen and people running, but most of all, I could hear my own laughter as they dragged me away. Yeah, so from Bronson's experience here, which obviously is very graphic, he had assumed he had killed John White. Um, By the time that he heard the gurgling and the death rattle, he was convinced he'd done enough to kill him, but obviously John White went on to survive. So as a result, Bronson was subsequently returned to Broadmoor shortly afterwards, where he was reunited with Ronnie Cray. His behaviour at Broadmoor followed a very similar, very distinctly Bronson pattern. Two months later, Bronson attempted to strangle child sexual offender Gordon Robinson using a silk tie from his dressing gown. Gordon Robinson was an inmate I hated on sight because he was a big mouth. We had a few words once and I managed to slip into the toilets unseen while he was there. I hit him so hard with a right hook that I thought I'd killed him. I ended up on Norfolk Ward, which houses the cream of the madmen. One had decapitated his mother. He was caught on the bus with her head in a shopping bag. Soon I was transferred to Kentwood. This was to be my last chance. There was only one problem. I was back in a dormitory and Gordon Robinson was in the next bed. That night, I walked into the dormitory in my pyjamas. Suddenly, Robinson sat up and bent over to put his slippers on. In a second, the tie was around his neck, but it snapped. I was now strangling him with my hands. The nurses came charging in. Robinson survived, but the welts around his neck told the story. After dragging Robinson to the ground and struggling for a minute or so, Bronson was removed from Robinson after the silk tie snapped. He was kept predominantly in isolation within Broadmoor and one other secure psychiatric hospital, Park Lane, for the next seven years. I was back to the hellhole in Norfolk Ward so fast my feet didn't touch the floor. I covered myself with a blanket and cried in frustration at what I'd done. I went through a bout of sheer panic and a loss of hope. I tore up all my photos and destroyed all my letters. My dreams were no more. I was empty. I wasn't the person I once was. Once a punch in the mouth was enough. Now I'd nearly taken a life. The prison system was supposed to be curing me, but instead it was making me worse. Suicide passed through my mind. After that, I wrote letters to tell everyone to forget me. This was my lowest point. I felt sure I would die a lonely old man in Broadmoor. Ronnie Cray, who was also in Broadmoor, played a big part in saving me. He'd heard I was feeling low and arranged for a friend of his on the outside to visit me. It was Terry Downs, former middleweight world boxing champion. He was a lift I needed, and I started to pull out my depression. God bless you, Ron. Despite further bouts of severe depression, 
Bronson decides to try and turn his life around. He begins a strict daily exercise regime and begins taking part in creative art classes. He also starts writing poetry, writing short stories, reading and begins to paint. He continues his treatment as well as his art and eventually he received more prison awards than any other inmate for his poems, prose and cartoons. He claims that he is going to try and stay out of trouble. <laughs> well, you know me, I love my art and I thought it's time for some TT's downheader. Tommy's trivia. <laughs> That's terrific. Yes, welcome to TT's Tommy's Thank terrific you. trivia. How you doing? You good? Brilliant. Fine, thank you. Yeah, great, 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 great. So, yeah, as, as Ben just mentioned there, obviously Bronson was like, I'm going to quash this violent streak and I'm going to put my energy into something more creative. Um, so he's gone into the, the world of painting and art, um, which obviously the people are interested in the world of the morbid and the macabre and people like to collect things from prisoners. Um, this is also known as murderbrilia. Or even it's referred to as outsider art, which is basically art done by people who aren't trained or in any way or studied it. And they just, as also people from institutions who end up doing, making their own art and whatnot. And there's lots of celebrities who collect such art, such as Johnny Depp, Susan Sarandon and Marilyn Manson. But um, Charles Bronson, uh, he's been very well known for doing his art with prices ranging from 700 to 30,000 pounds. For multiple of his sets of his images so it's a pretty penny it's a pretty penny um a lot of times when we say about we've said before about other people doing art and you look at it and it's just dog shit uh charles bonson has a very clear style um i'd say he could possibly um do an alternative version for a roll doll even mm. it's a bit uh cartoony but it's definitely got a style to it so i think he's he's up there in terms of um his artwork in particular i would recommend have people having a look but it got me thinking about looking into all other um what other prisoners and uh, famous killers have got into john wayne gacy um he basically obviously known as the, the killer clown a uh, pogo being his character he had one piece sell uh, for twenty thousand dollars which was a basically pogo with his mouth open and fangs which um fetched a lot of money he also did another painting which was very odd uh, which was basically the Seven Dwarfs from Snow White playing baseball. Um, he also sold a painting for $175,000, which is an oil painting of his house, highlighting the crawl space where he buried his victims. 175 grand. Mm. Whoa. But yeah, Charles Manson as well was well known for doing it. He, he when he when he passed away, he left apparently $400,000, which he made a lot from his artwork. But yes, I wanted to focus on Bronson. He's been apparently very. Um, He's been very generous with his artwork. He's, he's been known to set, uh, send his artwork to charities for auctions and make money. Um, but he got a request from a, a Valerie Venner, uh, basically a, a grandmother who was suffering with cancer. Um, she requested basically a painting from, from Manson just because she thought it would cheer her up a bit. And he did send her one. Um, and it was came along with a little message in the back, which cheered her up apparently, which she said um, that she won't be needing to use any shampoo for a while. Um, which uh, quite edgy humour, but she appreciated it. She got uh, that she was a big fan of his and knew he was he was quite um, edgy with his words. Uh, but yes, he is he's an interesting guy, is Bronson because he seems to be yeah very charitable at times, very endearing and very kind. He's very charismatic, and I think there's probably some similarities between him and Chopper Reed in a sense, but. Um, just the character you like you'd listen to him talking for for hours i'd love to have been a fly on the wall with there just yeah. having a pint the chopper and bronson podcast that'd be i'd have been good wouldn't it? 
maybe another yeah. lifetime. It's a bit of a mishmash of Tommy's trivia. It's, it's, it's just more just about the artwork and how much they were selling and making. But uh, I'll throw you guys back to the episode. Tommy's trivia. <laughs> That's terrific. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So 1979, after a little over five years of marriage, Irene writes to Bronson to demand a divorce. So she didn't just request a divorce. She's demanding it. It was alleged that while he was recovering solitary from a beating given to him for punching two hospital guards, Brunton was handed the divorce papers that were filed by his wife and was left to digest them in isolation. Irene recalled, Finally, five years after he'd been sentenced, I wrote to him, I want a divorce. I can't wait my whole life for you. My solicitor confirmed he'd signed the papers, just like that. Two years later, I married David, and we had two children together. Over the years, Mick's been involved in ten jail sieges, attacked 50 prison officers and caused over half a million quid's worth of damage. He's been moved 150 times. He was transferred from prison to prison, often in solitary confinement and high security cells. Is that really any claim to fame? Yeah, I mean, it's quite sad because she was waiting for him and he just couldn't keep himself out of trouble. Um, You would have thought as well, like, at least I know where he is. She didn't know where he was. Being moved around 150 times in solitary confinement, couldn't get sure you couldn't get hold of him I'm sure he wasn't um you know very good communication from there and uh yeah it's it's sad because it seemed like she did love him but um yeah could only imagine that would be a very one-way frustrating relationship there I I watched a Channel 4 documentary where uh, it catches up with Irene obviously she said this um during the late 70s early 80s but it it was filmed maybe two or three years ago and uh, she goes to the pub that they met in and has a, a glass of wine by herself and gets very upset and says I, I really wish he was out so she still holds him in very very high regard um, but yeah very sad very sad 1980 and 1981 the next two years go by relatively event free at least by bronson's highly chaotic standards though he despises living amongst the at the time quote unquote criminally insane and constantly looks for ways to get transferred back into mainstream prisons he also comes to terms with his divorce but encourages his wife to tell his son the truth about who his father really is and yeah we'll get more onto his son uh, later in the timeline the book insanity my mad life by charles bronson is full of dozens of quotes from Bronson about this period of his life, but we feel that this one sums it up best. Looking back at the years I spent in the asylums, I'm now convinced some of that insanity rubbed off onto me. So if what I've said is a definition of insanity, then the next thing is, how do you define an evil bastard? People can mix evil and insanity up, thinking both to be the one and self-same thing. Wrong. Let me tell you about evil. First, you smell it. Secondly, you feel it. Thirdly, you taste it. And finally, you need to destroy it. I personally could never come to terms with my label of criminally insane. Just because of my violent outbursts in prison, don't mean to say that I'm mad. Obviously, I've become a disruptive element within the penal system. Uncontrollable, unpredictable. But that don't make insanity. 1982 to 1983. Wanting to return to a mainstream prison, Bronson performed his first of a series of rooftop protests after managing to avoid his medication and escaping to the top of Broadmoor. Once he got on the roof, he began to tear off roof tiles and throw them to the ground, striking building windows and nearby parked cars. Uh, So yeah, there's a lot of very infamous images of this one. He manages to get a lot of tiles off. Imagine that insurance phone call. (laughs) Yeah, my car has had an accident. So uh, did you hit... No, um... 
Charles Bronson has thrown roof tiles off and he's hit my car. <laughs> oh, it's Act of God. Is it an Act of God? I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so this uh, first rooftop protest went on to cause several thousands of pounds worth of damage. And not long after the first incident and potentially after questionable security measures that were put in place, Bronson once again managed to get on the roof of Broadmoor, and this time he caused a staggering £250,000 worth of damage. And again, this is uh, 1980s money we're talking about here. Uh, And he was on the roof for three days uh, before he was eventually talked down by a family member. Unbelievably, I'll shock you, he managed to make a third rooftop protest, and this time he was doing it to demand a prison transfer. But once again, he was talked down. There are numerous, obviously, photos of each of these different rooftop protests, but yeah, the second one in particular, um, yeah, it didn't look like there were any tiles left on the roof. Bronson on the roof. 1984, after perhaps realising that his rooftop protests were not having the desired effect, two years later, Bronson embarks on an 18-day hunger strike eventually being granted a transfer to Park Lane to cure psychiatric hospital. So, I mean, yeah, that worked. I mean, I know nowadays people get force-fed if they're on hunger strike and whatnot, but they seem to obviously listen to him there. He's quite a big guy, so I'm sure that would have been quite a drastic change in physicality as well. Though Bronson felt more comfortable and settled in the more modern surroundings that Park Lane presented, he soon returned to his old habits. Just months after moving, he broke a glass sauce bottle and used it to stab Mervyn Hawley a patient who Bronson claims had made sexual advances towards him. Mervyn survived the attack and Bronson was finally moved back into the general prison population, but not without being charged once again with GBH and having three years added to his sentence. You have to question with Bronson. He seems to think a lot of people are making advances towards him. Yeah. I mean, it, And I feel like once he's stabbed one person for that, I don't think people are going to be like, yeah. I think he likes me. <laughs> um, Charlie! I don't think people would do that. So I think... He might be, yeah. Uh, He's got a lot of access to glass as well. So, yeah. glass jar, glass jam jar, glass sauce bottle, glass mm. bowl. Yeah. Probably not a glass bowl. I made that last one up, but. Is Bronson mad? Let me ask you. How else can I be? I'm probably the maddest guy on two legs, if the truth was known, but prison will never beat me. I'd sooner die today than allow it to. I've been certified mad because of my violence. I was still violent, and they were now certifying me sane. Where's the sanity in that? Isn't the system just as crazy? Worth noting at this point, Brunson has now served 10 years when his original sentence was only due to be seven, and possibly only half that time if he had behaved himself, which is incredibly frustrating. I can see what Irene's like. You could have been three and a half years, Charlie, but you're now in 10 years. And he has still had an additional three years to serve. So he has almost ended up serving double the time of his initial sentence. Yeah, that's, yeah, a lot of misbehaviour. And again, he's putting it down to, as Tom said, a lot of people making advances to him, acting inappropriately. But I don't know. I think he's also struggled with his surroundings when he was sent to Broadmoor. Get off the roof! (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, three times. Jeez. Mm. So 1985 to 1986, after spending several months at Risley Roman Centre, Bronson returns to Walton Prison after almost 11 years away. Despite being back in a prison setting, he makes his way to the roof of Walton and conducts a three-day rooftop protest, causing over £100,000 worth of damage. And again, if he's done it three times at Broadmoor, are they not? Are they, surely that's handed over to Walton and said, look, put him on the ground floor. Don't let him go near the stairs. Get a baby gate. (laughs) 
As a result, another year was added to his sentence and he was transferred once again to HM Prison Albany. Here, he punched another inmate on his very first day, earning him a swift transfer, even by his own standards, and he was transferred to HM Wormwood Scrubs, which is a lovely name. I don't want no scrubs. Wormwood Scrubs is a guy who can't get no love from me. I don't know. Hmm. However, yeah, he would only end up spending two weeks at Wormwood after strangling the prison governor of Wormwood during an especially violent episode. As a result, he was transferred to HM Prison Gartry, where he would serve the final year of his sentence completely in isolation, all with the exception of 10 days, which I think was sort of five days either side to transfer him. Um, but I can't believe he hasn't had additional time added to his sentence for strangling the governor. That sounds like a... That sounds like a euphemism, doesn't oh, it? Sorry, guys, just dragging the governor. <laughs> um, yes, Wormwood's a very, very fascinating name, isn't it? Yes. Matilda. Uh, 1987. After 13 years behind bars, Charles Bronson is released to the general public. He spent the first of his 69 days of freedom travelling to Wales in order to live with his parents, who had relocated during his incarceration. After spending just a few days with his family, Bronson travels by train to London, where he is put in touch with various members of the criminal underworld, referred to him by the Cray twins. Bronson also purchases a toy water pistol, which he modifies to look real, and uses it to hold a man at gunpoint and order him to drive to Luton so that he can see members of his extended family. Which, do you need to hold someone up to go visit family? I think especially after what he's... he's I mean, he's served 13 years behind bars mm. for... Predominantly poor behaviour behind bars. And now, Sounds like it's a very loyal barman. <laughs> Pub landlord. Yeah. Yeah, no, it works. Um, but uh, yeah, I think especially first few weeks coming out to do this and uh, mm. his behaviours uh, completely escalate once again. Yeah. Does he want to just go back in though, Ben? Is that what, is he just doing like, because he wants to be back in? <sighs> it's possible. It's definitely possible. But I also think, I mean, with this being within the first, what, month or two for him being out, he's just really living without rule. Mm, he's a big old fish in a pond in a small pond in the yes. prison whereas outside he's just a big old fish it's like a bit probably a bit intimidated yeah the world had changed a lot in that time as well so over the next two months Bronson enters the world of bare knuckle boxing across London's West End where he officially changes his name from Michael Gordon Peterson wow to Charles Bronson at the advice of his promoter wow so this is just this is the point where he changes his name because the bare knuckle boxing is like Bronson Charles Bronson who's also an American actor yeah, so though Bronson himself would state that he had never actually seen any of the films starring American actor Charles Bronson, there you go, who was known for his granite features and brawny physique. Brawny. A bit like me. No, a little bit. At the same time, Bronson met and fell head over heels for a woman only known as Alison. Mm. Bronson, who was said to have been very skilled, very quick and very aggressive with his bare knuckle fighting style, won many of his bouts. Well, yeah, it's not a surprise. I guess he's been fighting some, you know, fairly skilled fighters in, in prison you would have thought he also claims that he once fought a Rottweiler in an organised underground fight killing it with his bare hands for £10,000 he would say that quote this was not something I was proud of as I loved animals yeah I remember that scene in the film it's uh, just distressing I, yeah I thought this, the film took a lot of artistic liberties but I don't think it takes that many um, when you actually look into what he's been up to unless he I mean unless he is just spinning the yarn a little bit yeah, it's tricky to tell. I mean, especially with him, who is so known for his reputation, mm. the stories and the mystery and the myth of Bronson is very much something I think he likes to keep alive. Yeah, and perhaps the name change um, was something that sort of gave him a new sense of identity as well. And I thought names, Tom and Dan, and everyone at home, 
Names are names are pretty interesting, right? Scary names. Scary names. Spooky names. Intimidating names. Throw me in, Dan. Ben Carter's interesting facts. Interesting facts. Welcome back. Welcome back. I uh, hope everyone's having a, a beautiful October so far. Um, there's actually talk of an Indian summer here in the UK, uh, and spooky season is very much upon us. Um, prisoners and scary prisoners at that. Petrifying prisoners, creepy convicts, spooky suspects. I thought with Halloween being around the corner and this case being heavily centred around prisoners and, uh, you know, prisoners with, with strange nicknames, I thought I'd just do a little lookout for some other prisoners or criminals with scary nicknames. And I've got four for you. The Grim Sleeper, Lonnie David Franklin Jr. Uh, now, The Grim Sleeper, yeah, it does invoke a certain uh, terrifying fear um, of... Farting when he sleeps, as well, I think. The Grim Reaper, yeah, sleeper, yeah, could, could work. But Lonnie, uh, Lonnie Franklin Jr. is alleged to have brutally murdered between 10 and 25 women in Los Angeles during the 1980s before disappearing for 13 years, returning again to the scene to murder once again, which essentially earned him the nickname The Grim Sleeper. Oh. Um, for the period of inactivity, we then move forward to, and you said this, you said this word earlier, Tom, in the episode, and I thought, oh, he's, he's got me, got me word there, metal fang. Can't remember why you said fang, but you said the word fang. Oh, I did for him, the artwork of Gacy. Yes, fang. Uh, so metal fang, uh, which is Nikolai Zhumagaliev. Uh, so he is a Kazakhstan-born cannibal that slayed and ate the remains of at least seven women, uh, with the number estimated to be much closer to 30, uh, uh, all throughout the Soviet Union. And he uh, murdered three men as well by gunshot. However, he got the name metal fang by removing all of his teeth and replacing them with white metal teeth. Um, so yeah, Metal Fang. Uh, he's currently serving a life sentence in a psychiatric hospital in Kazakhstan, although he's escaped twice. And uh, he actually escaped for a period of two years at one point. So Metal Fang was roaming the streets, which is a bit terrifying. Mm. We then also have the Hammer Man, Louis Van Shaw. So South African Louis Van Shaw, who worked as a security guard and a police officer, infamously became known as the Hammer Man after he slayed at least seven men who he claimed were burglars with one single hammer. So after each incident, he was arrested, interviewed and cleared by officials without so much as a caution. However, he was finally discovered in 1992 and charged with seven murders and two assassinations. And after serving only 12 years for nine counts of murder, he was released in 2004. He's gone on to do various media appearances and write books. And he uh, would refuse to answer a question where the journalist asked him, have you killed more than 100 people? Uh, so they believe that the Hammer Man was actually a, a hired hitman. And then finally, the more uh, bizarre of the four, Charlie Chopoff. And Charlie Chopoff is actually an unsolved one. So between the 9th of March 1972 and the 7th of August 1973, a sadist that was somehow affectionately labelled by the press as Charlie Chopoff, likely because of his fondness for mutilating the penises of his victims, brutally stabbed and severed the penises of between three and five young black and Puerto Rican children in the Manhattan area of New York. Although a criminal uh, known as Erno Soto, who was also a convicted serial child abductor, uh, claims to have been Charlie Chopoff, he was deemed unfit to stand trial and was sent back to a secure psychiatric hospital. So the perpetrator or group of perpetrators remain at large to date and have also been referred to as the Manhattan Mad Barbers and the Pied Pipers of Manhattan. Uh, so yeah four spooky names for you um, sweet dreams everybody sleep well obviously I hope that the Grim Sleeper Metal Fang the Hammer Man and Charlie Chopoff steer, 
steer very clear of your nightmares uh, and I hope you have a, a rocking Halloween. <laughs> Back to the episode. Ben Carter's Interesting Facts. Interesting Facts. New Year's Day 1988. Bronson, who had been unable to obtain any kind of employment aside from his boxing endeavours, began to struggle financially and decides to revisit a life of crime. He holds up a jeweller, stealing thousands of pounds worth of goods, but keeping one ring for himself that he later gave to his girlfriend, Alison. Which is quite romantic in a way. Uh, Bronson was identified as the perpetrator and arrested the following week whilst on a morning jog during his 69th day of freedom. Bedford Prison refused to house him based on his reputation, so he was sent to Leicester Prison. So yeah, I mean, it's quite a lot. It's not, it's, I love the idea that he wants to get Alison a ring, but maybe just spend the money that he got from killing a dog on a ring rather than <laughs> but uh, there you go a trial was subsequently launched and initially it looked as though Brunson may get away with it due to the witnesses being afraid to identify Brunson for fear of their own safety however for unknown reasons Brunson's then girlfriend Alison turned against him mm, shouldn't have kept the ring refusing his alibi and joining the prosecution he was found guilty and sentenced to serve another seven years in prison he was initially sent to HM Prison Brixton, where he once again tried to make his way to prison rooftops, but was detained and placed in solitary whilst attempting to do so. Bronson was then transferred to HM Prison Full Sutton. He was immediately placed in isolation due to punching two other prisoners, a prison officer, as well as throwing water at the prisoner governor. Oh, I mean, just keep him handcuffed when he's getting taken to the place. He was then transferred to HM Prison Durham, where he was kept predominantly in solitary confinement under particularly poor conditions. Here, Bronson alleges that he befriended a family of rats that had wandered into his dark, damp cell. A cell that he would spend 23 hours of each day within for the next several months. But you can kind of imagine his mind would struggle there. If you're in the dark, mm. if you're in a cell, imagine creating characters and stuff like that could quite come quite easily. My eyes are bad due to the years of unnatural light that I've had. My vision is terrible. I have to wear shaded glasses even to read. Years of solitary have left me unable to face the light for more than a few minutes. Gives me terrible headaches if I do. Years of loneliness in small cells have left me paranoid about people invading my space. I now can't stand people getting too close, crowding me. I hate people breathing on me and I hate smelly bodies coming near me. Mares to me are simply for eating, never kissing. A man needs a routine to cope with such an extreme situation. For me, it's my push-ups and sit-ups. I also pace a room and count each step. Some, I know, lie on their beds for three hours on the left side, three hours on the right and three on the back. 1989. After finally being released from solitary, Bronson once again went on a rampage, and this time he attempted to spark a riot within the prison. And yeah, there are some very infamous uh, bits of prison surveillance footage of this moment. So Bronson fashioned a spear out of a broken broom handle and a piece of glass. He then ran into the prison landing, clutching it and screaming, whilst entirely in the nude. He was tackled to the floor and placed back in solitary before anybody could be harmed. Over the next few months, due to repeated instances of uncontrollable behaviours, Bronson was transferred between six different prisons. Most of his moves came as a result of assaulting other prisoners or other prison guards, with his behaviour now escalating to a dangerous new level. 1990. So Bronson is now sent to Franklin Prison uh, for the first time, and depending on which side of the story you believe, uh, the following happens. So scenario one is that Bronson was purposefully put in the position to take the prison governor hostage, or two, 
able to plan for weeks to take the prison governor hostage um, and this was a prison governor who is said to have belittled him on a regular basis. Either way, he was eventually apprehended after two hours alone with the governor. And as a result, he spent the next several months in solitary confinement before being sent to Parkhurst Prison for what would be the fourth time. And again, I know there are a lot of numbers and different prison names here at this point, but eventually he will be sent to over 150 different prisons, which is uh, staggering to, to even perceive. Not long after he had arrived at Parkhurst, Bronson, who was by now considered a formidable prisoner and one to avoid at all costs, attracted the attention of four other highly aggressive prisoners. The group ambushed Bronson in the prison toilets, stabbing him several times with homemade shanks in the process. Bronson refused to speak to prison officials about who attacked him or why he was attacked. Which, yeah, again, if you go back to some of his earlier quotes, he talks about the rules of prison and what snitches, what will happen to snitches, and he abides by his own prison code here. After recovering from the attack, Bronson served the rest of his sentence without issue and was, somehow, released three years early on good behaviour in November of 1992. Which, yeah, many, many people seem to forget that he was released for a second time, and this time he had 53 days as a free man before being arrested for a third time and this time he was arrested for conspiracy to rob. Whilst on remand in the Woodhill area, Bronson took a public librarian hostage and in return demanded an inflatable doll, a helicopter, and a cup of tea from arriving police negotiators, which is, yeah, a very, a very Bronson demand. And it is alleged, whether you believe this or not, that Bronson actually ended up releasing the hostage after he became disgusted with him when he farted in front of him. Um, you feel safe as houses. Yeah, but nervous farts, they happen. Yeah, but it's all that American cheese. Uh, 14th of September, 1993. After a two-week trial, Bronson was found guilty of intent to rob. It's not just conspiracy to rob, but also intent to rob. Rather than the initial charge of conspiracy to rob, while controversially his co-defendant was found innocent of all charges. Bronson was sentenced to an eight-year sentence, which was based heavily on his repeat offending. He spent the next several months between Belmarsh, Wakefield and Hull prisons, where he spent his first 40 days completely naked, in isolation. I think we've all been there, haven't we, guys? <laughs> cool. Easter Monday, 1994. <laughs> Late in the afternoon, Bronson took Hull Prison Governor Adrian Wallace hostage, where once again he had the governor alone for a few hours, whilst he verbally abused him. Eventually, a large team of prison guards overpowered Bronson and were able to free their governor. As a result, Bronson was transferred briefly to Leicester Prison before being moved to HM Prison Wakefield, and allegedly being confined in the notorious prison basement Hannibal cage that had regularly housed Britain's longest serving prisoner in solitary confinement a case we have covered previously on the podcast Robert Moldsley uh, also known as the brain eater is what yeah. we, we deemed it as um, fascinating yeah. case we do recommend you listen to it yeah but do they uh, there's lots of speculation that they uh, became acquaintances well I feel like they both it depends who you believe um, Bronson if he did beat up and punch a lot of people who were child offenders and sexual predators. And obviously Maudsley, again, he attacked people who were essentially uh, sexual offenders on children. So kind of like a very uh, handy uh, Robin Hood, just beating up the bad guys. Yeah. yeah. But then Bronson does just beat up prison guards for no reason. So, I mean, yeah, but you can see them having a good chat, maybe over a cup of tea. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a bicky. Maybe a Maybe Bicky, yeah. Yeah, Bourbon. Well, 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 you having a cup of tea? What are our fancy some Bronson Bourbons? Just dip it in. Get pretty right in there. Solitary confinement's a lot easier with Bronson Bourbons. 
Yes. Dip, dip. I'm on the roof now, but I still got my bourbons. <laughs> Fantastic. September 1994. Bronson's father passes away whilst he's in solitary confinement. Yeah, he gets a lot of bad news when he's in... I mean, he's in solitary all the time, so it's bound to get him while he's in there. But still, uh, this news makes an already heavily volatile Bronson even more unpredictable. And in the following weeks, he attempts to take another prison governor hostage, attacking him in the process. 1995, the following year, and surprisingly, after several months of good behaviour and a heavy focus on his art, Bronson is moved to the slightly lower category prison in Lincoln. Here, to the bewilderment of many, Bronson is granted day release where he is able to spend time with children with Down syndrome. He was reportedly taken out of solitary and placed back on the prison wings after getting along well with the children possibly the most dangerous prisoner in Britain at the time, or certainly one with one of the most fearsome reputations, and you're yeah, you're allowing him to spend time, un- well, I assume it's supervised with, with children with Down syndrome. Yeah, it's quite terrifying. April of 1996, Bronson, who was still grieving the loss of his father at this point, is sent back to Belmarsh Prison after taking a prison doctor hostage in Lincoln. Five months after returning to Belmarsh, Bronson bumps into an imprisoned Iraqi terrorist in the prison canteen, and he becomes infuriated when the man does not apologise to him for bumping into him. After mulling it over for several weeks, Bronson picked his moment and locked himself in a cell with two Iraqi terrorists and their cellmate, Jason Greasley. So yeah, this is a very infamous moment in, in, the, uh, in the life uh, and crimes of, of Charles Bronson. So Bronson begins to torment the men by singing to them and forcing them to dance with him. He also orders the two Iraqi inmates to call him general whilst tiggling his feet. Uh, yeah, which is an interesting one. Bronson began to feel guilty after hitting one of his hostages with a metal dinner tray and therefore insisted that the same hostage hit him over the head four times so as to make it even. Bronson also begins to make demands to prison officials, including a plane to Libya or Cuba. So he's not specific over which one, but he would either like to go to Libya or Cuba, as well as an axe, two Uzi submachine guns and 5,000 rounds of ammunition, as well as ice cream. Bronson releases Jason Greasley as a goodwill gesture, whilst also chanting, We want ice cream. We want ice cream. We want ice cream. Uh, not sure if he if he got the ice cream in the end or not, because Bronson then slashed himself in the chest and neck four times with a safety razor before releasing his other two hostages and walking himself back to segregation. Another seven years were added to his sentence as a result. Imagine if it wasn't a safety razor. If it did that much damage with a safety razor. Oh, it's horrific, isn't it? I've never wanted ice cream that badly. No, no, um... No, no, that's fair. Thank you. Five months later, when expecting a visit from his lawyer, Bronson was instead met by a prison doctor who wanted to evaluate him. As a result, and perhaps unsurprisingly, Bronson took the doctor hostage, and apparently he did this as a result of his shock uh, of seeing a doctor arrive instead of a lawyer, so quickly took him hostage. It's a weird shock reaction. He released the doctor after 30 minutes when he came to his senses, and the doctor refused to press charges against Bronson for his actions. January 1999, having been placed in an experimental secure unit within HM Prison Hull, Bronson takes prison education worker Phil Danielson hostage after he had criticised one of his drawings. Why are you doing that, Phil? Bronson managed to fully isolate his hostage in a recreation room where he began to tear up the prison, throwing refrigeration units and furniture around. It got so bad that Bronson was even electrocuted and knocked unconscious for a few minutes when he tried to pull a washing machine out of the wall with his bare hands. 
I mean, it sounds very slapstick, doesn't it? Yeah. The siege lasted for 44 hours before he released Danielson, with Bronson infamously quipping, You be my best hostage. You're the only one who hasn't shit himself. Hmm? Which, uh... <laughs> he doesn't... He, he's got he's the old coit. Uh, for this incident, Bronson received a discretionary life sentence to run a minimum of three years and was transferred to Whitemoor Prison in Cambridgeshire. As a result of continued infractions, a special unit was built in Woodhill Prison, specifically to house Charles Bronson, Robert Maudsley and Reginald Wilson, three of Britain's most dangerous and disruptive prisoners of the time. Bronson would focus the following years in isolation on his own exercise regime, as well as bodybuilding. I'm the king of press-ups and sit-ups. I once did 25 press-ups with two men on my back, and I've squatted with three men on my shoulders. I've been making prison fitness records for as long as I can remember. Show me another man, a man half my age, who can pick up a full-size snooker table. I can. Show me another guy who can rip out 1,727 press-ups in an hour. I can. I once went eight years without using weights. Then I went into a gym and bench-pressed 300 pound ten times. I feel as strong as I did when I was 21. There's something deep inside me that pushes me on. I'm a solitary fitness survivor. 2001. After serving an additional 13 years in prison, Bronson begins what would become a series of different appeals against his sentence. At the same time, Bronson marries for a second time, this time to Fatima Syra Rahman, a divorcee who had been visiting Bronson for 10 years to this point. As a result of the marriage, Bronson converted to his wife's faith of Islam and wished to be known therefore onwards as Charles Ali Ahmed, but he did not change his name legally. After four years of marriage, he and Rahman divorced and he renounced Islam. So this is 2001, an additional 13 years go by and Bronson continues to appeal his sentence. Parole hearings and local petitions are launched, but none of them are successful. And yeah, I did have a look at this. The strongest petition at the time launched by the general public only received 10,000 signatures for Bronson's release. On the 28th of February 2014, Bronson violently attacked the prison governor in a television room at HMP Woodhill, and this was over a dispute that his mail was being withheld, including two letters from his mother, who was obviously getting quite old at this point. As a result of the attack, the governor had serious bruising. A few months later, Bronson was sentenced to serve an additional two years. The prison had accepted at the same time, so he's been sentenced for this, but the prison go on to accept that Bronson's mail might actually have been unacceptably processed, meaning that they may have actually withheld letters from him. So how I don't know how... Well, he's obviously sentenced for the physical crime, but being proved... Surely they know or they, they know whether they have or not. I think that's that's the argument throughout this whole case is that his reputation preceded him and therefore he was treated, well, he argues that he was treated worse by prison officials, um, malnourished, yeah. I don't know. He, but he does like to spin the yarn. And he does like to beat the shit out of prison, prison <laughs> workers and, and always had, he always seems to have a governor hostage. So. Yeah. I mean, I think he does, you know, it doesn't help himself. Uh, May of 2014, after Arsenal beat Hull 3-2, after extra time in the 2014 FA Cup final, Bronson, an avid Tottenham Hotspur fan, became enraged that his greatest rivals had won the trophy. As a result, he takes his clothes off, he creases up himself in butter, and begins attacking everyone and everything in sight, injuring 12 prison officers in the process. He would later recall, I was born to have a rumble. I took half a tub of Lurpet with me. Stripped off and had the rumble of my life. I just went wrong. 
I don't know how. I don't know why. I just enjoyed the excitement. I love a rumble. What man doesn't? Apparently, um, he lost it. We saw Arsenal lift the trophy, and this incident has been referred to as the butter attacks. I thought, I thought the Lurpak attack sounded better. If it but was yeah. Lurpak, I mean, he claims it was. What butter do they have in prison? I can't believe it's not Nutter. <laughs> um, <laughs> either way, shortly after this incident, Bronson changed his name to Charles Salvador. I changed my name to Salvador because it means man of peace. I'm a chilled out man. I'll be going out with a bus pass. If someone tried to throw a punch at me, I'd say, come on, mate, there's a cafe over there. Let's go and have a cup of tea. I used to be a horrible man. I couldn't stop taking hostages. Now, I've learned to switch off with deep breathing while listening to birdsong. Bronson was a nasty bastard. He wasn't a nice person and I didn't like him. Salvador is a man of peace. I feel peaceful. Under this new name, he began creating works of art described as fantasy reality, many of which were sold at auction and on his website for charity, which I, which I mentioned in, in Tommy's tease earlier. He raised tens of thousands of pounds in the process, with many believing that he was doing this to change the general public and perhaps the parole board's view towards him, which, yeah, I think it's made me look at him in a, in a kind of light, for sure. The old me dried up. Bronson came alive in 1987. He died in 2014. I'm actually a bit of an angel. I'm now an artist. I want to go home and make a good honest living with my art. I've raised thousands and thousands of pounds for charities. Nowadays I just don't care. I've taken a Frank Zappa stance. I am who I am. Some love me, some loathe me. Some respect me and some despise me. I'm just a normal geezer wanting to get on with his life. If some Muppet wants to fight me or cause problems, I'll handle it in a different way. 2017. Bronson proposed and later got married to actress Paula Williamson. She had minor roles and appeared on Coronation Street as well as Emmerdale. Uh, And yeah, it was a lot of criticism for this one, but she had visited Bronson several times. A lot of people said that she was doing it for for the press and for the attention and for the clout, uh, which I'm inclined to believe. According to Williamson... Charlie is a changed man. It is my hope that he'll be released on my 40th birthday in August 2020. Sadly for Paula, that day would not come as she was photographed, quote, being motorboated by a younger man whilst on holiday in Tenerife. Ben, what's motorboated for people that don't know? Motorboated, it's, uh, you know, adults sometimes uh, get together, um, uh, a woman perhaps with... um, large breasts or any kind of breasts really will place mm. the face or head area of another individual head but, area why are you being funny about saying face <laughs> you put me on the spot mate. head area yeah but it could be head area some of the you know when you're drunk who knows what part of the face and head area goes where um and from that point onwards you essentially uh, generate some rhythm left to right up and down uh, angle to angle uh generating the effect of a motorboat between the breasts and uh, probably similar noise as well. Okay. A similar noise to a motorbike. Oh. Uh, oh my God. Fuck oh, no. no. I've never been motivated. <laughs> I don't think ever been on a motorbike, but the sound of it. That's what it meant. Something stood on a duck. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 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 Get off. 
this made uh, fairly prominent uh, UK media news and upon hearing this or upon perhaps even seeing the photographs Bronson immediately filed for divorce and would remain in prison for the six years that have followed and sadly on the 29th of July 2019 Paula who was just 38 years old at the time was found dead at her home in Stoke-on-Trent and her death has not been considered suspicious by the police but yeah there are other kind of conspiracy theories that perhaps after being embarrassed by her Bronson has perhaps arranged with his underworld contacts um but yeah very loose conspiracy theories there november 2018 charles bronson was found not guilty at leeds crown court after being tried for attempting to cause grievous bodily harm with intent when it was claimed that he had tried to take another governor hostage and this incident involved mark doherty who was the governor at wakefield prison though it was proven that somehow bronson had inadvertently injured the governor but not attempted to take him hostage and for this bronson said for the first time in 44 years in prison I never intended to be violent. I never meant to hurt the governor. So that was the timeline for the Charles Bronson case. We're now going to move on to a bit of aftermath uh, taking us through to present day. So right now, in October of 2023, Charles Bronson, Britain's most violent prisoner, has been behind bars for a combined total of almost 50 years, moving between prisons and secure psychiatric hospitals a staggering 120 times. During that time, he has held 11 different people hostage, including, as you may have noted, seven prison governors. He has been convicted on 17 different occasions and conducted nine rooftop prison sieges. He has applied for parole eight times, all of which were denied, with the most recent rejection coming earlier this year in March of 2023. I found this quite interesting. He has cost British taxpayers an estimated £3 million and he is currently 70 years old and has spent more than 70% of his life behind bars, predominantly in solitary confinement. At the time of recording, he is currently being held at a specialist close supervision centre at Woodhill Prison in Milton Keynes. I think it might be near the IKEA. We went to that IKEA actually to get a replacement rug for Dan's house. We did. Yeah, after Ian spilled that fucking ketchup. Yeah. That was wine, wasn't it? That's nah, ketchup. That yeah, ketchup. Ugh. Ben romanticising it again. <laughs> <laughs> As I said earlier on, the exaggerator. Whilst in prison, he has published 11 books and sold dozens of pieces of his artwork, predominantly for charity, including a fundraiser for a young boy with cerebral palsy. His surrealist drawings have been sold for up to £30,000 and have been displayed in galleries across London. And yeah, there's also been some London underground stations where um, people have snuck his artwork up or like held like underground... Uh, art shows which I found quite interesting the peculiar pieces often depict prison officers in vastly violent scenarios and many of his original artworks were gifted to Ronnie Cray who would later sell them and give the money to Bronson's mother in order for her to go on holiday Bronson's works have earned him 11 Coastler Trust Awards uh, which yeah he's he's got the most awards for a UK prisoner based on his uh, based on his works uh, I did have a look you can actually buy what appears to be verified and signed artwork by Charles Bronson though obviously he's signed it as Charles Salvador on eBay uh, which I can believe it was on eBay uh, and his signed cartoons and sketches are listed from as little as 200 pounds all the way up to 6000 pounds and uh, at the moment, I've got my eyes on a kangaroo that he's drawn for £790. But yeah, have a look on eBay. There's, uh, there's loads of work by Bronson listed there. I do like the kangaroo one, though. In his book, Looniology, Bronson claimed that shortly after he had converted to Islam, two MI5 agents approached him in prison to try and recruit him in order for him to spy on Muslim inmates he was housed with. Bronson claims in his book that he spat on them and refused. 
Prison officials, on the other hand, claim that the meeting never happened. In his books, Bronson makes claims about his physical abilities. He claims that he has bent metal doors in half with his bare hands, and that he holds six records related to strength and fitness, one of which is the global prison record for the most push-ups in an hour, which is quite a staggering number, 1,727, which, yes, is, is a quite, it's quite a lot. He also claims that he can do 172 push-ups in a single minute. That's, that's almost three a second, right? Yeah. That's correct. Surely not. Charlie, I, I don't believe you. Guinness World Record. Push-ups in a minute. Is 152. So, yeah, I just don't think... I, I mean, yeah. even that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Bronson, Ben doesn't believe you. Bronson also makes note that he holds the unofficial record for the most rooftop protests staged by UK inmate. Haven't carried out nine of them. Yeah, I can... Give I him think that one. He, yeah, I think he's got that. In his most recent application for parole, Bronson claimed that he's a reformed artist who behaves like a gentleman and plans to go and live in the countryside if released. During his opening remarks of one recent parole hearing, he said, First of all, it's no secret I've had more porridge than Goldilocks and the three bears. I'm sick of it. I've had enough and I want to go home. You've got hundreds and hundreds of pages, statements, security, call it what you will, half of it's crap, absolute rubbish. There's one statement I believe... And that's from the psychologists. When she told me this, I said to her straight away, that would make the beautiful title of a book. She called me a retired prison activist. She's so spot on. It's unbelievable. That's exactly why I am. I'm a retired prison activist. I put my hands up. Out of the 50 years I've been in prison, I'll probably deserve 35 years of it. I've been very naughty. Not naughty, naughty just naughty. I was a prison activist when I went on the prison roofs. I've been on nine prison roofs and I enjoyed every fucking one of them. I've not walked on grass for over 30 years and I dream of walking on grass. He also claimed that he wanted to get out of prison so that he could be with his elderly mother before she died. You people have got the power to let me out. And that's my mum's last dream on this planet, to see her son outside doing well, making an honest living with my heart. As you know, I'm anti-crime. If you've got any heart, any compassion, give it to my mum and make an old lady's dreams come true. I've got a horrible, nasty, vicious, violent past, but I never killed anyone. I've never harmed a woman, never harmed a child. Bronson's biological son, Michael, launched a Just Given page to purchase a £33,000 caravan for his father to live in in Devon upon its release. Charlie is no longer an aggressive criminal. He is a born-again artist who has spent the majority of his prison life in segregation doing his artwork. He has not been violent or aggressive for nearly 10 years. He is 70 years old in a few months and just wants to get out of prison and enjoys remaining years as a pensioner, living in a caravan in Devon by himself near his family. On this development, Bronson said, My last nearly five years, my reports have been excellent. I've changed. I've become an artist. I have rehabilitated myself. I'm planning to live in Devon away from all the crime and all the villains. I've turned a chapter in my life. I'm more relaxed. I'm chilled out. I'm not a danger to anybody. And I still say I'm not a danger to the British public. If so, who to? Huh? Who have I killed? Who have I raped? Who am I a danger to outside? Nobody. 
Yeah, I did scour the Just Giving website. I looked for for this particular fundraiser just to see how much they raised, but I couldn't find it anywhere. And there's also, yeah, as we're going to talk about, there's um, a lot of controversy over his biological son, Michael, and also uh, another claimed biological son, uh, which is a man by the name of George, but we'll talk about him more shortly. Uh, but yeah, there's there's arguments over whether it was Michael or George who actually uh, had or the George Just Michael. Giving page. Or George, yeah, exactly. In 2009, the movie Bronson was wow. released. In 2009, the movie Bronson was released, starring Tom Hardy, who would later also go on to play both Reggie and Ronnie Cray, and Bane. Uh, Bronson himself was said to have loved the film, and even offered to shave his handlebar moustache clean off for Hardy to use as a prop in the film, with the pair having several telephone conversations prior to filming. Uh, Bronson would go on to tell a reporter at the Times newspaper, I honestly believe nobody on the planet could play me as Tom did. He's more like me than I am. Hardy, who was going through a pretty well-documented breakup at the time of filming, later claimed that Bronson offered him some spiritual advice, claiming that he told him, sometimes you've got to cut a little piece of yourself off in order to grow. Many refer to a UK female prisoner known as Maria Pearson as Charlene Bronson. Or Charlene. Or Charlene Bronson, either way, I've made both up. Uh, But Maria is the longest-serving female prisoner in the UK and has been in different prisons since 1987, when she murdered her ex-husband's new girlfriend by stabbing her 17 times in broad daylight. The murder was so violent that police initially believed that the victim had been killed in a hit-and-run. Which is, yeah, that's gruesome. I mean, unless the car had knives in the front, surely. (laughs) Yeah, like something off a robot war. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but that's horrible still. Uh, she has since refused to take part in any kind of rehabilitation programs and has been moved between prisons for poor behaviour and bullying. She has been in prison for 37 years, where she has been denied parole nine times, including being denied seven months ago, the exact same time as Bronson, in March of 2023. In 2017, Bronson contacted newspaper photographer George Bambi after recognising his name on the Channel 4 documentary. The pair eventually ended up meeting in prison. After the meeting, Bronson gave Bambi hair samples for DNA testing. Bambi has since produced a certificate claiming that there is a 99.98% chance that he is Bronson's estranged son. Later that year, Bronson's younger brother Mark told newspaper The Mirror that he had cut off contact with his brother due to his quote, fake son coming onto the scene. He said, George Bambi has had his five minutes of fame now. There are no more. I've not been in contact with him now for months, nor wish to be. A clown's a clown to me, but he can't come back. Too many lies. In 2019, Bronson launched an official complaint over the cancelling of Milton Keynes Prison's Fish and Chip Friday. Which, yeah, I imagine that would be quite devastating. Good good thing to lift the mood. Um, The report claims prisoners are usually offered fish and chips with mushy peas on Fridays. A Christian tradition of not eating meat on Fridays, which goes back centuries. I had my first um, pea fritter. Oh, yeah. Just basically mushy peas. It was alright. I mean, I'm not craving again but um yeah. it was a good life experience um sometimes you've got to cut something off um to grow you cut a little piece off the um pea fritter um in order to know um <gasps> the notorious prisoner says he has lodged a complaint after being served up potato croquettes instead of chips which left him bemused he wrote the following about the complaint to long-term friend rod harrison that's rod not cod you won't believe this Friday, fish and chips, no chips here, only fish with croquettes. I've slammed in a complaint. I just can't believe it's tradition. English. Every jail in the UK has fish and chips on a Friday. 
2021, Bronson featured on a single by the Ayanapa based band Lost Vegas. Uh, yeah, and his voice is played on the track Only Mad Men Cruel. And I'll be honest, it's quite good. It's got a little bit of, um, I don't want to say Blink-182 vibes, but... Oh, okay. It's got a little bit of an indie vibe to it at the start when the drums kick in. Um, I think it's quite good. So we'll play a clip. On Ben's notes here, it says, it kind of slaps. It, it does kind of, yeah, kind of slaps. Not fully slap, but it kind of. Sorry for what didn't shine. All those prisons back in 78. I finally went too far. I lost my way, it all crashed in. Like a drunk in a late night bar. Only violence was my friend. Living on a racist edge. Visions of hopelessness. Jumping off the ledge. And that is the case of Britain's most notorious prisoner, Charles Bronson. As we said, it's one that kind of uh, maybe underwhelming by the outside crimes, but overwhelming by the inside crimes. Yeah, like a nice pea fritter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people probably would say that is the crime of the culinary. culinary. Crime to the culinary. Um, But uh, yes, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that case. A little bit different to our usual. Uh, It's nice to do one where there's uh, a lot less death going on um but yes we'll be back next week with the audience vote and before we we wrap things up i do believe there's a riddle to be solved there's a riddle to be solved there's also needs to be a point awarded to either bcifs or tds because we always forget that until the very end oh yes very good point mr norris um i'll do the point scoring now let me just remind myself (laughs) it's always a good sign when dan can't remember what they are (laughs) So, uh, both very strong, to be fair. Both very strong rounds. Um, I'm going to give the point uh, simply because of it's in the tone of the episode to Tom. Oh, that's that's rattled me. Why? I just think you're going to get some messages about that, mate. Oh, from, from oh don't bully Ben. <laughs> yeah. Oh, give Ben points because he's nice. Don't take it so personally, Ben. It's fine. It's, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think you've won the last three times, haven't you? Yeah, but... Do you want to win every week? Uh, no, but I didn't deserve those wins compared to oh, this Oh, do you know week. what? I have, have the point. I'm sure Tom won't mind. That's undermined really, every point he's had now. Um, <laughs> and yes, the riddle or the joke. I think I know what it was, but go Let on. me refresh your memory. A detective reported to a crime scene at the circus. A clown was found backstage in a pool of blood with his hands grasping his neck. How did he die, Ben? I have no clue. No, I'm really sorry. My mind is just not working today. Go on, Tom. <laughs> the wording of it's going to get me slightly, but it was caught in the juggler. The killer went for the juggler. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I'm sure I'm sure people at home go, oh, I knew it was that. I knew it was that. Dan, that's not a riddle. But Dan did say, to be fair to him, it wasn't a riddle at the yeah, start. Yeah. So, like, just lay off him. I think they'll be they'll prefer that than no riddles because we got a lot of flack for no riddles the other week. Yeah, right? if they, they did. If they think that's not a riddle, Ben. They're still oh, think, oh, yeah, they won't be me. sated. Oh, you know, they won't be sated. But yes, guys, um, keep an eye out for the new merch that is coming very soon, as well as we do, we're going to introduce a new uh, a new category on the website uh, for uh, half the price, uh, but you get two minisodes a month rather than the four. So um, we're going to introduce that as well. So if people maybe don't, you know, we know times are tough. Um, maybe you still want the new content but you can't quite stretch to the four we're going to be doing uh, a price for two a month you can't choose which two of the four it's going to be you will just have what is there um, we'll throw in um, should we throw it and we'll throw in AI Carumba as well fuck it yeah why not so two Minnesota and AI Carumba 
There you go. What is AI, Karumba, for those that don't know? We use AI to, to take us on a wonderful journey uh, into various worlds that we create, um, but we use AI to help us write the script and, and mould the stories. And then, uh, yeah, it's a bit more of a light-hearted podcast where we can kind of just be stupid and not feel like we're treading on eggshells and try not to be offensive. There you go. So you can find all of that and so much more over at icmap.co.uk. As Tom said, uh, any any support is very, very, very much appreciated, but we totally appreciate um, that, you know, times are tricky at the moment. Um, if not, then the best thing you can do for us is to tell your friends about us, put us on your social media, anything like that. Or if you would be happy to, please leave us a review on your favourite podcast player. Um, yeah, we would love, we would just love, we would fall to our knees for a five-star review from you. That would mean a lot. And there are people out there that just don't give five stars. I get that, but go on. Live a little. Live a lot, though. Yeah, we very much appreciate it. Um, and yes, the audience vote next week, so be sure to tune in then. And until then, like we always say... We say this all the time. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, unless it's uh, smothering yourself in Lurpak and, and launching yourself at offices. PCs. Yeah. Uh, it's only a game, isn't it? Football. Pop didn't. Yeah. Nutley Burley. Um, yes. And stay off the roof. Yeah. yeah. Christ's sake. Anyway. See you, best. See you later. Two pit. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.